An LTU Airbus A330 is doing a routine flight when they have to return to Dusseldorf. A Lufthansa 747 is taking off out of Nairobi when it crashes. What caused these German-based airlines to have so many problems? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. I guess I just assumed that this was the first half. Yes. Yes. Well, since we're recording it first, yeah. Might as well be. We just hit done on recording episode 134, so if you're wondering where our brains are at, Star Trek. <laughs> there you go. It literally just happened seconds ago. Also, welcome to your mini-sode series number three. Yes. So, uh... We'll that start. means we're still enjoying vacation time. Yes. We are done, <laughs> or we have just come back and we are resting. Yes. And not worrying about posting this. Yes. <laughs> We're frantically trying to figure that out now. Yes. Instead of doing that after we come back. Yes. <laughs> I w- I'm sure we will be very happy about it when we're back. Uh-huh. I had to take a quick pause because I forgot that I had to put together a slideshow for this. So Excellent. Thank you for the patience that you didn't need to have. Did anyone request this? I know we haven't gone over it yet, but... Uh, not that I can find. That's actually what I was just looking at, and I don't know how we got a hold of this. So thank you to whoever recommended this. We have failed you. That being said, what are we covering today, Christy? We are covering LTU Flight 230. This flight occurred on October 4th of 2007 in an Airbus A330 from Dusseldorf, Germany to Saloniki. I assume that's how that's pronounced. Greece. I love... The sound of Dusseldorf. Yeah. Don't know why. It's one of my favorite cities. I have been there. Well, I'm about to say it again. Great. The flight had a crew of 11 as well as 114 passengers. LTU was a German leisure airline headquartered in Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. I flew LTU to Dusseldorf. Well, Well, look at you. From New York. This airline, as well as many airlines, have been and are known for, uh, been for travel to vacation or holiday destinations, such as Greece. For those of you wondering why you haven't heard of this airline ever, slash lately, it was acquired by Air Berlin in 2007. The brand ceased in 2009 and officially dissolved in 2011. So. There you go. The captain. That's all. The captain. The captain. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Had 9,500 flight hours, 2,743 of which were on the A330, and the first officer had 7,500 flight hours with 500 on the A330. Both relatively experienced. The first officer is obviously newer on the A330. Correct. Takeoff was normal. Nothing to speak of. It was all fine and well until a a loud bang was heard during the climb to flight level 105. At that time, the plane began to yaw, and the crew heard some strange sounds. The crew checked the doors and hatches, and all were locked, and the E-camp didn't say anything was wrong, so they sped up from 250 knots to 350 knots. It was at this point that the cabin crew notified the pilots that a large piece of the left engine was missing. Great! Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so the flight crew decided to abort their flight and returned back to Dusseldorf. Probably a good plan. No emergency was declared, which I thought was interesting. But they, I guess they were flying normally i mean you don't really need it yeah in the event that uh and they landed with no issue though the fire brigade on the ground did determine that the left wing was leaking fuel oh that's not good so it did do some damage well what did damage you might ask 
This investigation was performed by the German BFU, which stands for something I'm not going to try to pronounce, but is translated to the German Federal Bureau for Aircraft Accident Investigation. To no one's surprise, both black boxes were found. Well, since the plane was intact, I would hope so. Uh Uh-huh. An on-the-ground investigation found that the two cowling doors on the left engine were missing. Huh. 90% of the left one and 30% of the right one. Each had fractured below the hinges on top of the engine. The reason that not more of the right door was missing was that it was caught in the engine cowling itself. Awesome. Lovely. So, what does this cowling door system look like? There is a front fixed section and an aft section. The front part is connected to the air intake, you know, the front of the engine. Yeah. And the aft part has cowling doors that open and swing up and out on both the left and right, with two hinges on each door being on top and mounted to the pylon. Each door also has a telescoping arm to prop the door open for maintenance, kind of like how you prop open the hood of your car. The thrust reverser is behind this. Everyone figure out what we're talking about? Yes. Yes. Got a good picture? If not, there's one on the website. The doors are secured closed by three latches on the bottom, and the latch system is shared by the doors. I'm going to read the verbatim description of the latches, but it sounds like a bunch of mechanical mumbo-jumbo, and I really recommend just looking at a picture on our website. Quote, each of the three latches consists of a latch hook within a housing assembly attached to the left door, which engage an adjustable clevis within a keeper assembly attached to the right door. The hook is guided by several links and attached with a handle. The correct alignment of hook and clevis is ensured by a shear pin on the keeper housing, which engages a bushed receiving hole on the latch housing. In the closed position, the handle is looked by two small hooks. I did not write that. That sounds like a translation error. Each cowling door is guided by axial locators. The distance between latches and ground is about 90 centimeters, end quote. I imagine you were trying to say locked. Well, that's what it says. So, probably locked. Great. So, what happened? It's safe to say that something happened with the latch system since both doors opened and fractured near the hinges, which it's pretty easy to imagine happening in flight if the latches fail. Yep. Yep. They got some speed and pressure. They're going to break. Woo! (laughs) Right off. This is supported by the damage to the underside of the wing and the fuselage. Oh, it did some serious damage. It put some holes up in that fuselage. Fuel was leaking from two holes in the lower wing surface, and each hole was about 8 millimeters in diameter. Other pieces of debris damaged the belly of the aircraft, including one of the telescoping bars, which was, you know, just sticking out. It was just impaled by the bar. (laughs) Once the belly fairing was removed, investigators found damage to the structure and the hydraulic pipes of the blue system. This aircraft has three hydraulic systems denoted by the colors blue, green, and yellow. The blue system was affected, and the following systems were affected specifically. The blue system reservoir air pressurization, the return line for engine 1's thrust reverser, the engine pump case drain line, and suction line. Okay. There was more damage to the slats, the flat fairing, and two passenger windows! Fantastic. Yikes. That's scary. That couldn't have been uh, pleasant. Yeah, no. Definitely not. No one got sucked out. Tis true. Tis true. Yep. I did not get to see damage, like pictures of the damage to the windows, and I'm curious, but... There was nothing. I did not see any. I'm sorry. 
Looking at the latches specifically, investigators found that the front two latches keeper housings didn't have any damage or impact marks, but the aft clevis was torn out. The front and aft hooks on the left door were damaged, and the center hook was just gone. Great. So they found the doors? Yes. Wreckage was recovered on the ground, and by on the ground, I mean on people's roofs and in their (laughs) gardens slash yards. That would make sense. sense. Yeah. Yep. And that, coupled with debris from the belly fairing, proved to be the front and center latches. The doors themselves were also examined, and the left door didn't show much damage, but the right door had an arch-shaped deformation. I'll get more to that later. Well, how could this have happened? Turns out, this has happened before, and since. Yep. But mainly, it happens on the Baby Bus series, more properly known as the A320 family, and has always happened after maintenance was done on that engine. Yep. That's what happened with the Frontier flight. Yep. Well, would you look at that? An A-check was done on the engine the night before. Hey! That's convenient. (laughs) Look at that. However, the crew swears up and down that they closed the cowling properly. Well, clearly they didn't. They actually even had cell phone video of the ground test that they performed after closing the cowling. But, you know, cell phone video in 2007 was a... Subpar. Potato. At best. Potato is the proper term, I believe. Potato quality. And it wasn't good enough quality to determine if the cowling was actually closed properly. To this point, I've called the latches front, center, and aft, and I'm going to switch over to the same thing the report did for ease, which was A, B, and C, from front to back. The damage to the latch pin slots of latches A and B were in the center, which couldn't happen if the latches were locked. If they had been locked, the damage would have been toward one end of the pin slot. I know that doesn't make much sense without visuals, but point is, the damage shows that latches A and B were not locked. Flat out. Just weren't locked. Furthermore, on latch A, the damage to the latch housing, the indentation of the latch hook, and the deflection of the bolt show that the hook was deflected by about 30 degrees at the time of damage, which wouldn't have been possible if all the latches were aligned because the doors would have overlapped. Quote, therefore, the conclusion can be drawn that the aft flanks of the latches were unlocked when the deflection occurred, end quote. Damage to both the handle as well as the hook of latch C show that latch C was, in fact, locked correctly. And all the loading was transferred to that latch, since it was the only one engaged, causing it to rupture. Awesome. Remember the damage to the right cowling door I mentioned earlier? The arch-shaped deformation couldn't have happened with a properly locked cowling latch, otherwise both doors would have had the same damage. But the left door was still straight. The damage found indicates that the latches were peeled from the cowling one by one. Oh, cool. Ew. I hate that. Granted, that would have been pretty fast. That's still horrifying the way you say it. That's how they said it. From all of this, investigators put together a possible damage sequence. Both latches A and B were in the same state. No matter what state they were in, they were the same because they had the same damage. Both of their clevises showed no force, and the housing and hooks were destroyed slash deformed, meaning that both latches were unlocked. Yep. The damaged pieces were found in the belly fairing, meaning that the failure happened at the same time and had the same trajectory. Right. Latch C was properly closed and locked. I'm going to reiterate that because they don't say that later. Latch C was properly closed and locked. Once the airspeed increased at flight level 100 and the dynamic pressure increased, Clevis C was torn out of its structure and the right door bent backward and then tore off. Awesome. 
hitting the wing and its lower end, then the belly fairing. The latch is interlocked with the fuselage, which I'm... I don't know what that means. It makes it sound like the latches, like, clung to the fuselage before the wing then ripped off of the latches. I don't know. I don't know. I'm lost on that one. That, that's, sorry. They use the term interlock multiple times, so I'm assuming that's what that means. And uh, the left cowling door fractured into smaller pieces, evident from the different deformation near the hinges. Just to confirm that the cowling door itself didn't fail, fail, and this was indeed the fault of maintenance crews not latching the doors properly, investigators looked into what the damage would have looked like if the cause was a structural failure in the door. If this had been the case, the left door would have also impacted the belly fairing. In one case, the latches would have still been connected to the clevises until impacting the belly, but we know that didn't happen because the hooks would have all struck at once, whereas they struck the belly individually in reality. In another case, the latches could have broken after the door structurally failed and separated, but that would have involved damage to the keeper housings on latchings A and B, and that was not present, which means that the hooks were not in the keepers. Right. In the absence of both scenarios, structural failure to the door was not the cause, and this was confirmed by the Bunswehr Research Institute for Materials, Explosive Fuels, and Lubricants. Okay. That's a thing. Now, there are four states that a latch can be in. Open and locked are the two pretty self-explanatory. Yep. Yes. But there are two in between. Clasped is where the latch hook is engaged with the clevis, but isn't over center. So the secondary trigger hooks aren't secured. So there's a backup system that locks them in place after the hook and latch part of it. Right. So if the first part's not done, the second part definitely ain't done. That's called clasped. Braced is similar in that the latch hook is engaged with the clevis, but is over center properly pulling on it, but the secondary trigger hooks still aren't secure. This braced position can only happen if a latch is locked and then released, which is pretty safe to say that that didn't happen. No, it would no. mean that the cowling was closed properly and then released without actually opening it. No, so it must have been that they were engaged, but not locked in place. Not necessarily. So investigators put together a list of four remaining configurations of the latches at takeoff. Case one is all three latches are open. Case two is A and B are open, and C is clasped. Both of these are considered impossible... Both due to the damage showing C is locked, as well as each would have left a gap of about two centimeters, which it's assumed that maintenance would you have can noticed. see it, yeah. yeah. That would have been a more obvious, yeah, situation, yeah. That leaves cases three and four, both with latch C locked. Case three has latches A and B open, and, lo and case four has them uh, clasped. Each of these cases are viable. It's hard to say which one is the case. <laughs> but wait, maintenance technicians listening may be yelling. What about the orange paint on the latch handles that show them as open? Aha! Good person. You so are right. And investigators wondered the same thing. Upon examination, it was found that the warning orange paint had worn away. <laughs> I was going to say, it wasn't there. So this is, one of those, this is one of those things that was kind of bugging me the whole time. Is like, how was this not caught on any walk around? At any point in time. Ground handler... Pilot, anybody, nobody saw this. Well, that's that why. kind of explains it. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it to me. Still, I mean, and I know that they don't do this, but 
Especially when it comes out of maintenance. It's a good idea. It's not required, but it's a good idea. Run your hand over those latches and make sure that they are secure. Yeah. The other part of that being, I mentioned earlier that these latches are 90 centimeters off of the ground. Yeah, there is that. That is 35 inches, for those of you who can do math. Yep. About three feet. Last I checked, your pilot's probably taller than three feet. Yeah, you can easily run your hand over these. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how much... I, I've never done a walk around personally. Mm-hmm. I, it's going to be hard to see these because they're underneath. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to bend over to look, and they should have. But, did they? So, that's all I got for an analysis. The world may never know. Uh... Point is, no one died. Yep. They did go over the potential risks of this. And similar to China Airlines Flight 120, the leaking fuel actually wasn't that big of an issue until they landed when it could have fallen on hot brakes. Right. But before that, like, okay, you had a fuel leak. Right. Not a huge issue. So it could have been a catastrophe, but it wasn't as is most how this ends up bang in most cases where the cowling pops open i've seen it on 737s as well but it's not untold no but it is most common on the a320 family which this is actually not a part of nope there are no findings yay conclusion they kind of figured out what was going on i mean yeah yeah the accident occurred because the front and center latch or all or all three latches were not properly locked you remember how i said before that yeah. latch C was locked. Yep. Yes. And then they say this in the conclusions. Yeah, they contradict themselves a lot. Rude. They also concluded that the alarm color on the handles was worn and contributed to the accident. Fair enough. I mean, I guess if you can't see it, but still, I mean, I don't know. That bothers me a little bit. I know. There is also no indication of structural failure of the composite fairing. Um, I could not... There were not any recommendations within the report necessarily though they had mentioned that airbus had sent out service bulletins before regarding this right of make sure you're closing it ensure that it's latched and there's not really much more they can do other than say that fair enough yeah because like the mechanism itself works just fine oh yeah there's no fault in the system nope i mean the paint but again that's kind of a moot point so yeah, that that's that was LTU flight two thirty. Okay, excellent. Well, there you go. I I really do recommend looking at the pictures on the website because I know a lot of that was mechanical BS, but uh, the pictures help. The cowling came off. Yeah, there was a couple of times where you started like talking about all the different parts, where it popped into my head like that old video where. They made up all these like technical terms that are all fake, and it's this really like well done professional video explaining how to do this procedure on this thing that doesn't exist with all these terms that aren't real. <laughs> and it's hilarious. If I can find it, it's great. These are all real, I promise. This definitely yes. did happen. This was real. Um, you might recall several years ago, and we've mentioned it here on the podcast before, but there was a frontier flight. Where that happened, the cowling just popped off. It was their Grizzly the Bear plane. Yep. Yep. And everyone was freaking out. Oh, I thought I was going to die. It's like... Come on. 
Come no, on. you're not. It's an engine cowling. It, the engine works just fine. You landed. Everyone was fine. Now, that being said, UA Flight uh, 328 also had cowling pop off, but that's because a fan failed, and so the engine was on fire. Yep, yep, yep. We can't cover that yet because the report is not out, so don't ask us to do that anymore. I, I will put it on our list as soon as that report comes out. Don't you worry, your little head. Yep. Or big head. I don't know what size head you have. <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a short break for you guys. Uh, Long break for us. Yeah. <laughs> See you after this brief message. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. Yes, we are back. We are back, 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 back again, again, again. How long has it been? Hard landings back, back, yeah. back, <laughs> tell a friend, friend, friend. Okay, sorry. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's About been a week. A week. We said like. It's been a week. 48 oh. hours, and then I cut that out of the last one because I'm like, it's been more than 48 hours. Yeah. So for you guys, it's been a brief message. For us, it has been literally days. We are recording this immediately after we recorded episode 135. Air Canada 621. Yep. You're going to find a few similarities. Oh, oh no. And did you lie not. again? No. I did not. An engine did not fall off no, again? that has nothing to do with this, thankfully. But... I should have mentioned, you... It fell off twice. You lied twice. Anyway. Again, that wasn't, though, just out of the blue. They did do something very bad to cause Anyway, that. let's get, reel it in. We are here now. We are here and now. So. What are we covering, Nick? <laughs> this time we are covering Lufthansa Flight 540. This one's peculiar. This one ended up in our mini-sode list only because... We couldn't find a full report for it. Well, it's not even that I can't find it, but it is not at all easy to access. In other words, there is one with the Library of Congress, and there's one with the New York Library System. So how'd you get it? I didn't. Oh. That's why we're doing this as a mini-sode, because I didn't get the report. Got it. Someday I would be really interested, actually, in getting this report, because there's a few really big things about this accident that are both unique and... Of great interest. Because this wasn't a small one. This occurred on November 20th of 1974. It's only four years after our little Air Canada accident we just covered. Little? Anyway. This was a Boeing 747-100. Big airplane. The shoddy. Biggin. This was. This one had the tail number Delta-Alpha Bravo Yankee Bravo. This was the earliest version of the 747. Mm-hmm. We've covered them before. Yep, still a sizable airplane. But it's the short say. one of them. Sort of. There's an even shorter one. Oh, good God. Called the SP. Oh. Special oh. performance. Super long range, very short airplane with a giant tail. Look that one up. It's ugly. <laughs> it is. This was a flight from Frankfurt to Nairobi in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Okay. To Johannesburg. In South Africa. Okay. The leg we will be talking about is Nairobi to Johannesburg. 
Okay. Which, at that point, the airplane was only about half full. Okay. The captain for the flight was Christian Kreck. He was 53 years old. At the time, he had over 10,000 hours. That's all I know. He had 1,619 hours on the type. The first officer was Hans Joachim Schuck. Okay. German names, I assume. He had 3,418 hours total, of which 2,000 hours he had, roughly 2,000 hours, on the 747. I mean, not a short amount of time. No, he had more hours than the captain on the 747, but far less hours than the captain in general. Overall, yeah. However, above and beyond the most experienced was actually the flight engineer. It was Rudolf Hahn. He was 51 years old, so he wasn't the oldest in the, in the cockpit, but he had over 13,000 hours. Dang. Flying experience, which... In the grand scheme of how many people we've talked about, all these pilots, he's not even in probably the top ten. But no, but still, anything over 10,000 is like, good for you. Yeah, he's got quite the experience. I always like when we talk about flight engineers that end up having more hours. Mm-hmm. What they don't talk about is how many hours he has on the 747, so I don't know. The flight- I, I just like it when they have, like, the most hours. Yes. But they're not a pilot. Yeah, exactly. Which means they made a career out of being a flight engineer. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It is, yeah. The flight from Frankfurt to Nairobi was uneventful. I believe it was overnight. Because this was a morning departure from Nairobi. The flight to Johannesburg was to carry on with 140 passengers and 17 crew. So I think it was a little less than half full. I don't know what they actually had for configuration, how many seats this airplane had in particular. Mm -hmm. But... It definitely doesn't sound like a 747 kind of capacity because you can put that many people in a 737. So, The aircraft taxied to runway 24 for takeoff at Nairobi in the morning sunlight. The flight crew pushed the throttle forward for takeoff. They roared down the runway and pitched up normally once at speed. The aircraft lifted from the runway, but a heavy vibration was felt immediately throughout the aircraft. I don't like that. Including by the flight crew. The captain believe this to be the in, an imbalance in the aircraft tires as they slowed down once airborne. So he retracted the landing gear, as they would normally. Would that be enough to shake the airplane? It can I, be. I felt it before. Yeah, it can be. If it's a heavy imbalance, yeah, it can be. Uh, We had it on one of our Southwest flights yeah, recently. Yeah, there's that. I guess I don't really register it then. Well, and when you sit toward the front of an Airbus, immediately after takeoff, there's always like a yeah, 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 yeah. That's an imbalance in the wheels, usually. It's very common in the Airbus. It's very normal, though. It's totally fine. It's fine. It's fine. However, at the same time that he was retracting the landing gear, the aircraft began descending. Uh. And the stall warning system light came on in the cockpit. Hmm. What'd you do? The descent was quick from there. I bet it was. 3,700 feet beyond the end of the runway, the 747 crashed just 35 seconds after taking off. Ooh. Crashing into a grassy area before striking an elevated access road. This caused the aircraft to break up, including the left wing separating from the aircraft, which consequently exploded. Uh, Yeah. As the aircraft came to rest, the fire quickly spread toward the fuselage. I don't have a whole lot about the evacuation because I couldn't find it. What I do know is that those that could did evacuate. 55 passengers and 4 crew, however, perished in the crash. Wow. But 85 passengers and 13 crew, including the flight crew, didn't 
perish. I don't have any injury data, though, so I don't know how many of them were seriously, were seriously injured. injured, but I imagine quite a few. So, let's talk about just about everything that went wrong here. <sighs> Investigators were pretty quick to determine why the aircraft crashed. It was pretty obvious, actually. Okay. Something peculiar was found about the wings when they examined them at the crash site. Hmm. The flaps were extended. Oh, good. That was going to be my first question. As it would be everybody's. All the engines were in place? Yes. I'm sorry. But something else was not. The slats? The slats were not out. Failed. It matters that much? It does. We'll talk about this a lot, actually. This isn't a normal occurrence by any means. If flaps are extended on the 747, then the slats are supposed to extend as well, as they are all part of the same lever on the same system. So there was an unlinking somewhere? Something went wrong. Something went terribly wrong. By the way, I am surfing on the internet, Mm -hmm. since you asked me to look up the 747 SP. This crash was the first fatal. first fatal crash of the 747. It's still my thunder. Yeah, I know. I didn't know if you knew. I did. It was talked about a few times. That's why this one, I was like, man, if we had the full report, because this is an important one. Maybe we will, if we ever get the report, recover it. Someday we might circle back, because there are some really interesting things about this. This this one would have been really interesting to you. Anyways, we'll get there. So, just how important were these slats? Well, this is a giant airplane. And yes, Yes. the flaps are also giant, and they do a lot of work. But as are the slats. They really do a lot of work. The slats are just as critical as the flaps are in this aircraft at such a slow speed for getting the aircraft off the ground. But in particular, they had one very important function. The slats being retracted meant that the aircraft couldn't get out of ground effect. And that the oh. aircraft stalled before it could climb away from the ground. Mm. So ground effect is actually that point where the airplane is just above the ground. It basically sits on a quote-unquote cushion of air. The pressure between the ground and the wing suddenly becomes just high enough that the airplane can kind of sit there until it's when you're on landing. Normally, you would get slow enough to touch down. The airplane would just kind of settle down because that cushion would start to disappear. That's essentially what ground effect does. It's a little more complicated than that. But point being, the slats on this airplane in particular were very critical for getting the airplane out of ground effect on takeoff. Otherwise, at the speeds they were going, it wasn't enough to climb out of ground effect. It was enough to get them off the ground using the flaps, but the slats being retracted meant that the airplane couldn't climb away. I The first thing I was going to ask, which you already discussed, because we have talked about airplanes that the slats and the flaps have different levers, right. so they actuate at different times. Which is a very old style of system. Because now it's one lever for both. Right. When you usually, extend the flaps, the slats go too. Right. Usually the slats are within the first two notches of your flap setting. Gotcha. So the slats will always be, you know, it's usually the first two or three. It depends on the aircraft. But they will extend incrementally with the flaps because it's all supposed to be a synchronized system to function and keep the airplane in a smooth, smooth stable flight. Well, and now I realized you did already answer that question, which I do appreciate. Yes. Because that was going to be my first question. But for everyone who maybe didn't catch that, they were supposed to be linked, and something happened. Right. So this had investigators baffled. I'm... I'm baffled. Yes. 
my question, which will come into play later once mm -hmm. we determine what the cause was, was why wasn't there a failsafe given that this is a fairly new aircraft? We will get to all of that. Because <laughs> it was a fairly new aircraft. That's probably yep. why. Yes. <laughs> More than that. Not even really a failsafe. We'll get to that kind of right now. Oh. In the cockpit, there were supposed to be lights to indicate if there was an issue with the slats system specifically. I thought you were just going to stop at, there are supposed to be lights. I'm like, yeah, brilliant. Yes, totally. No, but for the slat system in particular. Okay. They light up green when the system is functional and ready to go. But they light up yellow when it's not. I feel like that should be red. You would think. Yeah. A lot of things in airplane cockpits that are yellow rather than red. Red is like super ultra critical, usually fires. And usually master master caution's even yellow. Yes. We'll talk about it. This wasn't even tied to that system. It wasn't even tied to the master oh, caution. God. It was just its own thing. <laughs> the flight crew attested that the lights were green before takeoff. Oh, ho, ho. It could not be determined why the crew might say this. Theories were that they, one, lied. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that is always a possibility. That there was a failure in the fault detection system, so... That is valid. Maybe somewhere along the line, the lights just didn't change to yellow the way they were supposed to. Or three, because they were kind of taxiing into the sunlight, which was just coming up, the sun was just coming up. See. They said that there's some perception that could change the color from yellow to green. I mean, it's very possible. Those are actually very two very close colors. Yes. So I they might it. have believed that maybe there was green. they were green, but they weren't. All of that said... What would cause the slats to remain retracted? Well, the 747 has a very, very unique slat system that used pneumatics instead of hydraulics oh, to function. I why? know. It did this by using a bleed air system from the engines to drive the pressurized air into the pneumatic pistons for the slats at a given increment based on the lever which extended them from beneath the wing rather than the traditional front-of-wing extension that we're used to these days. Mm -hmm. It would literally, like, fold them out from underneath. Oh, is, what what plane did we see that on? We've seen it on the 747, but it's also common on a few other old, old airplanes. We were just talking about it, though. Was it at the Boeing Museum that we talked about it? Might have been. Yeah. It was on the 707 as well. And then on the 727, there was some variation of it which we saw all three of those yes we did so it could have been any of those that we talked about it yes 747 is kind of notorious for this though the big giant fold out slats yeah this unique system was proven to work and actually be very effective for the 747 up to the point of this accident so how could it have failed the answer is far more simple than you can imagine oh dang it investigators examined the flight engineer's position in the cockpit he, did he just accidentally hit something and the panels associated with the pneumatic system for the slats and made a startling discovery the switch the one switch for the system was in the off position meaning that the bleed air system was closed preventing pressurized air from being fed to the pistons which means that it wasn't actuating investigators quickly surmised that the crew had not properly performed their checklists. checklists therefore the system was most likely not turned on most likely. They never proved this. And they really couldn't. This wasn't a data point on the FDR. Mm. 
this is another reason I wish I had the report so I had a lot more data to go on. But this wasn't a data point. Seems something. It seems like something that's pretty important, though, and maybe they should. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't there also be an oral and a visual warning in the cockpit if the aircraft is not configured properly for takeoff, period? This is before Northwest 255. It was in Detroit. It's the one where the four-year-old survived because of improper configuration. This was probably before that. So the system's probably not in place yet. It was. Oh, dang it. It was in place for this aircraft. I was so confident. But out of all the systems that are tied to it, landing gear, flaps, speed set, all those things, the slats were not involved in that oh, system. Oh, jeez. They were not tied into the warning system. A system that still had its own single point of failure, manual function. God dang it. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Yes. Uh, so... That one was pretty simple to clarify. Let's talk about what happened after the fact. It turned out that this was not the first time. Oh my god, I hate that sentence. I know. And it's usually me who has to say it. And this is where the similarities start to draw with the Air Canada flight we just covered. No warnings. And it had happened before. Yeah, it turned out this was not the first time that this system had been missed by a crew on a 747. However, in all other instances, they caught the issue before it was too late, and they were able to recover the aircraft from crashing. Nice. That was not the case here. Boeing realized, however, that between the other instances and this fatal crash now, being the first one, the 747, it was mm -hmm. very publicized. The system needed to be tied into the takeoff configuration warning system. So, they did so. Also... The slat system kind of changed quite a bit, and there really wasn't a single point of failure anymore. On yeah. later versions of the 747, I don't think it was pneumatic-driven either. I think it was hydraulic, but I can't confirm that. So somebody else with maybe working knowledge of that can confirm. My understanding is that is not how this continued. All in all, this, re this kept this from being a repeat accident. There wasn't another one of these with the same consequence good see it became safer after it happened yep as it's supposed to then we get to the dirty part oh, oh no God. meanwhile lufthansa had preemptively decided to dismiss the captain and the flight engineer from the company no! stop it wasn't their fault a decision that was later overturned in a labor court as the final report could not absolutely rule out a technical failure also let's point out the fact that all of these reports per the icao are not to be used in court. Right. Yeah. Or it's as, not to assign blame. Right. It's not, not to assign you blame. You cannot fire someone it is based to, off the report. The is, findings from a report. Right. It is to assign correction. Later, the flight engineer, however, even though they were both given their job back, the, the flight engineer was charged with criminal, criminal negligence for missing the valve switch. But he was acquitted in 1981. Yeah. You can't prove that. Right. Unless you have a way to know that he is the one who did not flip the switch and right. it wasn't a technical problem right. and it didn't move after wreck yep. after the cuz that can happen yep. with the jostling of wreckage you cannot That's part of why say it, that it was 100% his fault. That's right. always why it's probable cause. Right. Exactly. It's just unfortunate that he basically had to lose 8 years of time. That's awful. For somebody who's already 51. Yeah. That would have put him basically at nearly retirement age retirement. by the time all of this was over and that he was acquitted and that everything was good. So at that point, it's like garbage. It, right. It's unfortunate. It ruined his career. I would be pissed. This I was. Sue. I know. Seriously. This was the first fatal crash of the 747. 
The third hull loss, however, so that means that they lost two other 747s before this. I have them pulled up. Hold on. Um, oh. Solid. So the first one was Pan Am Flight 93, which was... I was going to say. Hijacked. Yep. Uh, no one died, because they allowed everyone to leave the aircraft and then blew it up. Yeah, and then they blew it up. Yeah, I knew that one. And then Japan Airlines Flight 404 was very similar to the first one. <laughs> yeah. Hijacking. It was also a hijacking, yep. Yep. Was it even from... The same group? Fantastic. <laughs> they wanted to hit the biggest airplane they could, basically. It sounds and like. once again, the occupants were released and the aircraft was blown up. Great. However, one of the hijackers died. Hmm. You can't really consider that a fatal, because that was a different situation. Yeah. This is still the 15th worst 747 accident to date, as of the recording. Knock on wood. It was, of course, the worst at the time, however. Yes, for thank 747, you. Because it, it was, was the first. The first and the so only it one. it had to be the worst, yes. First is the worst, second is the best. I wouldn't say in this case second <laughs> would not be the best. No. That's a children's rhyme, don't come for me. Yeah. Anyways, that's the whole of this one because that's basically everything I could get the for... The whole of this one? Yes. I'm sorry. That's all I could get for a mini-sode for this one. And... I would love to cover this one in a report, with a full report someday, because I feel like there's so many other unique things going on here. Be it that this used such a unique system for the slats, a single point of failure. These are the kinds of things that it's, like, really interesting to cover. Especially for you. Single point of failure is just so aggravating. Yes, yes it is. Yep. Because it could have been fixed by having a failsafe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is why the pneumatic system wasn't exactly great, because how do you failsafe that? Well, maybe that's why we don't system. use it anymore. Right. Just a thought. So there you go. There you go. Lufthansa flight, I don't remember. 540. There we go. Thank you for attending three out of four minisodes. Ep- minisode conglomeration thing. Episodes. Yeah. I guess they are episodes. Episodes. I like, I liked conglomeration. I was proud of that. I kind of yeah. like these minisodes in a way. They're so easy. I mean, yeah, they're they're easy, but also I think they're just... They cover stuff, yeah. They that, cover stuff we don't get to cover. Yeah, because big accident stuff. I mean, this was a big accident, but yeah, um, stuff where we can get information. Mm-hmm. I let don't know. It, These are just like fun, short little yeah. things. Let us know what you guys think of them. Yeah, we won't know till after we're back. So yeah, but hey, we'll take any anything you can get us feedback. Right. All right, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up! Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hardlandings Podcast and on Twitter at Hardlandings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.